Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer. Today, joined by Mr. Chris Hutton. So let's get into the first news story of today. And that is that uh, Joe Patla, the health minister, has responded to the number of unemployed doctors in the country. There's recently been some discussion, including on this show, about this problem. Around 700 doctors, at least, who have recently qualified after completing their two years of community service uh, are unable to find employment. The health minister says that Part of the problem here is the rising cost of employment is a significant uh, challenge and that the department simply doesn't have the money in order to uh, hire all of these doctors. The South African Medical Association said that it was, quote, unacceptable and outrageous for qualified personnel to have been left unemployed. He said the rising cost of employment, including salaries, improved, improved a significant challenge. He said that doctors were quite well paid. Um, which uh, which meant that it was very difficult to hire them. And um, he also complained about the large number of medical malpractice suits which are filed against the government health departments in various provinces. He pointed out that in one province, 900 million rand was spent in one financial year in order to pay out to various people who had uh, uh, medical malpractice suits against the Department of Health. So... Chris, the sort of question I have for you regarding this is, this is obviously a problem. We desperately need more doctors in both private and public practices, but the state doesn't seem to be able to afford them. Um, And yet at the same time, it says that it can afford the ambitious NHI project. What do you make of all this? Right, because the burden of proof has been moved to assume that if you can bring all available money into one pot, you can then fix these kinds of day-to-day constraints. So the assumption here is we have a blank check. Um, These sorts of day-to-day issues, medical malpractice, salaries. If we have a centrally managed fund, as the NHI would propose to build, then everything is solved. Um, I think by no means has that burden of proof been shifted. Um, I don't think one should or can expect doctors in public or private practice to work for nothing. I mean, given the hours they have to spend just in terms of studying, getting their degrees, but then also practicing day to day, earning that experience, all that sort of thing, that compensation must be there. And the questions should be around what can we change in the current system to better improve things. So if you've got less resources, can you optimize better? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the issues? Well, I mean, this is quite radical, but maybe all of your funding is going towards paying of bureaucrats and all of those running the National Department of Health, for example, just putting it out there. Is that an issue where you could reallocate some spending? The issue of salaries is going to come up often this week as we're heading into the budget, of course, to be delivered later this month um, and in the context of the State of the Nation address. So where is the spending going? Is it prioritized towards actual service delivery and incentivizing doctors and nurses to come into public care? Are they compensated adequately? Are you building in other forms of compensation and and dealing with these issues to that entice them away from the private sector or to ensure that they remain in the country and don't go overseas? All of that is an issue that if you can at least address some of these, you don't need to worry about the pie in the sky that is the NHI. Right. I mean, there's sort of two major problems as to why we don't have enough money here. One is, that, of course, that so much is stolen in corruption. Um, the, the famous whistleblower who was murdered, Babita Diokran, was actually killed probably because she was trying to blow the whistle on corruption in a hospital. I think it's the uh, Tembisa Hospital, which was wasting a huge amount of money 
including purchasing things it really didn't need. Um, one feels that if some of that could be cut down, there might be a little bit more money for actually, you know, hiring doctors. Um, and as well, the medical malpractice suit here suggests that there are major problems with the quality of care being given to South Africans. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter how much extra money you pour into the system. If the management and the sort of control, quality control and all of that stuff is not there, and you just keep having to pay all the money out to medical malpractice suits, well, then you're never going to have enough money that you could possibly put into the system in order to make it work properly. But uh, we're obviously going to keep an eye on this one. Um, it is, I think, a great, the story is a sort of great encapsulation of so many of the problems with how the ANC government's policies have uh, hurt many sectors of the economy and, uh, and government services. But let's, um, speaking of policies doing damage, let's move on to our next story, which is about the mining in Daba, which I think is currently being held in Cape Town. There have been calls there from groups such as the Benchmarks Foundation um, that uh, the mining in Darba should tackle and address the high unemployment rate, increase skills development, and increase black ownership of the mining industry. President Sir Ramaphosa said that black ownership had increased from 2% in 2004 to 39% this year in the mining industry. However, uh, this was criticized as not being by the Benchmarks Foundation as not being adequate because they said that all the big companies are still not black owned. But while all of this argument and, and sort of fighting and, and discussion about uh, ownership and redistribution and development and all that kind of stuff is going on, at the same time, the mining industry really seems to be in a really difficult situation. Take, for example, the coal industry, which has seen uh, an enormous uh, number of problems due to the collapse of the rail and port infrastructure in South Africa. We've seen the price of coal in 2023 went down 55% compared to 2022 in terms of what it was actually sold for. And there was a 22% drop in coal sales, which meant that the coal industry got 192 billion rand less, I believe, than it should have. Uh, this is really kind of a terrible indictment. And Regardless of what you think about something like BE or, 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 or skills development or redistribution, all these things, I mean, we have many criticisms of BE. There's not going to be anything to redistribute if the basic problems holding back the industry are not solved. Chris, uh, do you agree with me? What do you make of this? I agreed. And to add on to that, when you've got this sort of concentration where the only way to get economic opportunities is through political connections, for example, making sure that your tender... Uh, gets to the top, you've checked the right boxes, you know, but and all that matters is who you know, not necessarily what you can deliver. The more you raise those stakes, the more you raise the competition that manifests in things like construction mafias and coal mafias. And the only way for people to get ahead is by taking out their competition or their opposition, uh, for example. And it's not a real open market, real competition, uh, open and competitive bidding processes, all that sort of thing. So you've got then those negative spillover effects as well, never mind the economic damage in and of itself. But uh, I think you're exactly right to highlight the basics in so many ways, but things that we take for granted, electricity, logistics. When those things don't function for emerging players, and in South Africa's case, it would be majority black companies who are trying to break in when the basic infrastructure doesn't work, the costs on them are so much higher than they would be for bigger corporates and companies that can deal with those sorts of things and compliance as well, preferential procurement. You've got the teams of lawyers and whoever else who can deal with that. 
the new players, the emerging players, they don't have that capacity and you're not really giving them any sort of, I guess, good chance to to compete on any kind of level playing field. Not that you would have a perfect level playing field, but you ne- you don't give it any kind of chance to start off with. And in that sense, you just disincentivize new players, disincentivize the addition of jobs, job opportunities being created, and ultimately it hurts uh, the fiscus and that same government that wants that inclusive growth, uh, all that massive spending, all that kind of thing, they hurt their own bottom line because they're not getting in the revenues that they ordinarily would be getting if it was a growing industry. And of course, this does highlight the failure of black economic empowerment and that this has been a policy the government has aggressively pursued for many years now. And yet, at the same time that President Ramaphosa is trumpeting its success in transforming the mining industry from 2% to 39%, we've seen unemployment amongst poor black South Africans go up. So all we've really done is create a policy which favors a number of politically collected businessmen over the poor uh, majority in this country. And that is, I think, a, a burning indictment of this system of, of uh, racial preference. Okay, let us move on to our last story. And this is about the troubled entity in Johannesburg, City Power, which is battling ever more to keep the lights on in Johannesburg. We recently covered how they were struggling at one point to pay their bills to ESCOM, and they're losing a lot of money. And part of the problem is the enormously high amount of vandalism of the infrastructure. Sorry for all the hardy dolls if you can hear them. Uh, the City Power said that over the last weekend, it recorded 14 cases of vandalism of its electricity infrastructure, and that there have been over 200 uh, cases of vandalism so far this year, a major increase from previous years. Um, Chris, you know, there's many reasons for the vandalism. Some of it is just theft, people stealing stuff out of transformer boxes or something like that to resell them. But some of it is due to contractors and things creating work for themselves, but destroying the the same infrastructure that they are then hired to repair. How do we get on top of this? You're never going to have a stable power grid until you solve this. It's probably going to be a multi-pronged approach that you need. So one is around the tender processes, the contracts, who gets awarded contracts, how do you hold them accountable? How do you measure if someone fixes an issue at a substation, if it breaks within X amount of hours, for example, do you then start to pick up a pattern and say, okay, maybe there's an issue with the contract or it's the equipment or something like that. So there's those minutiae around that. But also there's an issue around competition in terms of uh, the industry, There's an issue of competition around electricity provision. So in Johannesburg's case, obviously, it's city power. Is there scope for opening it up to other bidders, competitors, all that sort of thing? And then, of course, there's capacitating uh, the police and intelligence services. Are they getting the support they need in terms of funding, but also just generally being trained necessarily? Um, Are there incentives for them to work with local communities to ensure that there's shared intelligence gathering, that there's ownership of that infrastructure in a way um, for those those more libertarian inclined, you know, this, this will sort of not mesh well for them, but the communal ownership idea, are you buying into those different incentives where people feel that they own the infrastructure around them, that they'll take care of it, they'll look after it, there'll be community watchers, all that sort of thing, who can help the police and, and focus on making sure the contracts actually deliver their work. So I think it's a whole bunch of issues that you need to look at um, it's not going to be easy to resolve, but the longer you allow it to fester, I guess, and you don't really push back 
the more it just becomes second nature. And why would you then change habits once they become entrenched? No, I think that's exactly right. Anyway, um, I think this is just a reminder of how bad policing is sort of a thread that runs through almost every policy problem in South Africa uh, and why fixing the police service and making it work again or breaking it up into provincial police services or whatever, doing something to change the system is really important to any reforms to make South Africa a better place to live. Anyway, that's all the time we have for today. Hope you found the show interesting. That's a wrap.